friends, it is time to record the Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. It is a Tuesday night, January 16th. Not sure when you'll be listening to this, but this is a little bit of a line in the sand for me. About to jump right into a heck of a bunch of IMSA content and coverage for the rest of the month. There is one IndyCar blip on the radar coming. So, yeah, uh, I'll tell you about that when you see it pop up on social media, but fun stuff nonetheless. But here we are, the last Q&A show before my brain gets fully soaked in IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship awesomeness, endurance racing, opening the year of racing for me every year, Daytona International Speedway mid to late January. Oh, the best kind of stuff. So that's about to take over my world. But beforehand, we got a bunch of great questions from y'all put together by our friend, Jerry Suddeth. We also have some great, great friends who send in those questions each week. Also folks who send in questions for the first time. So thank you to you as well. Gaining momentum with the show here and have a new little bit to share with you that's going to become a standard part of the show throughout the year. Time to say a big thank you to our show partners on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, starting with FAF Technologies, build-to-print composites manufacturing company. They're specializing in medium-to-large-scale automotive, motorsports, and military applications. Visit faftechnologies.com. It's P-F-A-F-F technologies.com. To learn more about their services and how they can benefit your business. Next, it's the Justice Brothers, makers of premium additives, lubricants, and cleaners, and servicing the automotive and motorsports industries for more than 85 years, with victories in all the biggest North American motor races, including the Indianapolis 500, the 24 Hours of Daytona. The Justice Brothers products are truly race proven. Learn about their vast history and range of offerings at justicebrothers.com. If you're fond of awesome motor racing collectibles, including FAF Motorsports McLaren gear and goodies, pay a visit to torontomotorsports.com. And finally, we have a new online merchandise home for the podcast, thepruittstore.com. All the show stickers, models, racing memorabilia I'm trying to sell and put towards our fun to buy a house is now live and rocking, thepruittstore.com. Thanks once again to Jerry for putting together the questions, placing them in an order that uh, usually ends up being pretty darn good. So not going to be the longest episode here just because I still have a little bit of uh, a little bit of stuff to do, but why don't we kick things off? Ryan Terpstra says, this isn't an IndyCar question. Says, I know you're a 49ers fan, so you like football. Did you know the Sunday was the first playoff win for the Detroit Lions in the entire lifetime of John Ranjow? John Ranjow, also known as John Wojnar, the impetus behind the Prude Listener Group, which formed around the show. And if you'd like to join them, the details on how to do that are in the show's description each week. Uh, yes, John Ranjow being a Detroiter, Michigander type person. Yes, <laughs> indeed. The Lions won. That was phenomenal. Uh, he says, uh, where does he survived? but his condition is questionable next week. Yeah, uh, congratulations. And uh, on the topic of being in Daytona and having the roar before the 24 and other stuff going on to 10-2, to, 
my 49ers are indeed playing uh saturday afternoon when i think we're going to be busy with testing so yeah uh i'm going to need to pretend to be following the racing stuff but i won't uh why don't we go to andrew miller and we also have ed joris jeremy davis fired in some similar questions so okay i know roger penske and his team don't share much of the behind the scenes uh, under development stuff with you but apparently they did with a handful of senior drivers last week ahead of content day um okay i'll come back to that little intro here real quick uh not to blow any sources uh phrasing uh not to blow any sources but did you get any sense of what was talked about <laughs> sorry ah <laughs> uh, i believe there are, are rules uh in the the media guide to get uh your indycar hard card uh yeah definitely they they frown upon uh blowing of sources uh <laughs> and true sorry i might be a grown man but i'm still just an idiotic boy if y'all didn't know that already uh not to blow any sources but did you get any sense of what was talked about are you feeling any better about indycar's long-term growth cycle okay normally we open the show for those who are newer listeners with some sort of bigger topic where we spend a little bit more time on it and this would be one of those cases um Roger hasn't been telling me the big picture stuff for a little while. I haven't asked. Um, and maybe one or two of his closest acolytes fall into that category would just say that that doesn't mean I don't know about this stuff or learn about this stuff. Uh, it doesn't have to just come from them. So that's just a little sidebar there. Um, at the same time, uh, I'm pretty close with a lot of the drivers so uh just as they drop me a note and say hey uh what do you know about this thing that's way behind the scenes or way off the record and it's a you know pretty open flow andrew of of information back and forth trusted again not for print not attributed but it goes both ways this would be one of those and here's what i would say and none of this is said in a, a negative manner. And I, I do mean that because it might sound negative. But what I'll circle back to at the end hopefully makes it clear that it isn't. There's nothing that I know of. There's nothing that the drivers were told that was some sort of groundbreaking, oh my goodness, we have got wave motion guns that are coming to the cars and we're going to be able to go light speed and there's going to be a star wars crossover and where there's going to be a star wars movie but all the characters instead of flying spaceships they're going to drive the large dw12s and there's none of that that at least was shared with them that was like groundbreaking oh my goodness it was a lot of the positive stuff that we already know would also say that positive stuff we already know stacked on top of each other so if you say hey well this is going on and that's going on and this thing here and that thing here and you stack three four five however many of those things on top of each other um you do and would you know genuinely get a pretty good feeling that wow there's a lot of momentum a lot of positive things 
So here's a couple things that were shared. And this is not, again, I wish I had some giant thing to share that was brand new, but hybrid engine package, right? Hybrid isn't like a specific thing. It's just the marrying of two types of propulsion systems. So it's the existing internal combustion engine plus an energy recovery system. So these two working in unison make a hybrid. So that is happening. Know that there's been a lot of doubts and questions of when will and, you know, is this just going to get pushed to 2025? Everything that is happening that I'm aware of, including the start recommencement of hybrid testing, which is right around the corner, and there's a number of dates of where those tests will continue and keep rolling out here for the first half of the year. Um, it's moving forward. Even if there's some setbacks in there, even if the first hybrid test that's just, again, right around the corner ends up getting delayed. Everything I'm hearing is we got plenty of time, obviously, but we have the ability to do a lot of testing. We're going to be good. So, Hybrid's coming, middle-ish of the season, middle of the year. We don't know exactly when and where. I have a really good idea of when and where, but nothing official. Uh, we have the new teams, right, on Racer. Uh, we, I think, have broken a couple of those stories here in the last five, six months, whatever it was. First of them might have been Pratt & Miller Motorsports, right? Pratt & Miller Engineering, the big giant organization championships just a plenty behind corvette racing directly involved huge player on the team chevy side on the technology engineering development aerodynamics suspension kinematics all those things on the indy car side from 2012 through 2022 um they're looking to put together a team bill abel right another one I know not the only one he's spoken to about this, but he's actually gone as far as buying a brand new Delara DW12. So they will have at least one, uh, buying all the necessary pit equipment to go everywhere. Got that from McLaren. Um, they're ramping up with the full intent of doing some IndyCar next year. That's fantastic. The third, which we just, I think, revealed a week or two ago, whenever it was, Prema Racing, Italian racing team, uh, giants of European junior open wheel, like truly one of the absolute best fearsome badass, right? Like, wow, <laughs> um, it, like legitimately more than 25% of the formula one field comprised of drivers came from Prema racing. So that's another big thing. So that's three right there. We know that there's a desire for HMD motorsports to potentially enter some point in time. That could be a fourth team. I'm aware of another person because this person's told me and they're real and they're in the paddock and they have the finances to do it that they want to start their own IndyCar team for 2025. I hope they do. I haven't written about it yet because they've said, please don't. Again, I'm hoping it happens. 
will admit I'm a tiny bit skeptical as to whether that would happen or not, but there's as many as five new teams wanting to, trying to be on the IndyCar grid by 2025 at the earliest, 2026 maybe, again, but there's 10 full-time teams. I'm not saying all the teams I just mentioned would be full-time right away, but the fact that we could go from 10 teams to 15-ish, yeah, right? That's crazy. Uh, throw in Dryan Reinbold, right? Which we know they're in for sure each year at the Indy 500. So could be as many as 16 IndyCar teams, right? So that's phenomenal. All the the issues IndyCar has, needing to get a younger demographic, and, you know, there's a bunch of things that we all know we want to be better. Lots of things to figure out for the future. Big questions to answer. Where are we going to go? Who are we going to be? Again, all those things. Got it. We know them. But if you want the real measure as to whether a series is doing well or slowly dying on the vine, you look at the health of the paddock. And... There's a lot of people there already, 27 full-time entries. Plus, we got a heck of a bunch more wanting to be there, trying to be there, actively working to be there next year or soon thereafter. It's been a long time since we've had that. So that's another big positive thing shared with the drivers. New tracks, working on some new track possibilities, some Cool stuff to report there here soon, but that's another thing that's happening. And 100 Days to Indy is another thing that was raised. It's going to be aired throughout Europe. I don't know the exact method where it's going to be, but that's a big thing of like, hey, we're trying to bring the IndyCar message a little more global. So that's another big thing of some of the conversation that I heard from drivers after those dinners. It was all the stuff kinds of stuff that we just mentioned here all positive all looking good all looking up individually none of them are showstoppers but as a whole you go hey that's looking really bright some big questions to answer on what do you do with engines do you change the formula do you do this again those are they have ideas they've had ideas they didn't just come up with them, but nothing locked down, no definitive direction on a number of things. Take away from some of those that I spoke with was there's a lot of positivity here. There's a lot of things when you stack them on top of each other, look like, wow, look at all the progress. Other takeaway was, but maybe if you just barely scratch the surface there you might find that it's a lot of hype why is that not a bad thing here's what i understand and this is where i'll just close on this the part i said i was going to circle back to this as it was portrayed to me and as i also interpret it on my own learning about what was shared has the full feel of the fake it until you make it approach unless there's some big stuff indycar has decided that they haven't shared with anybody that i know who would tell me there's no big thing 
yet. But they're wanting to make it known that you stack all these items I mentioned on top of each other, maybe some more, and look at all the great positive stuff happening. Everything's on the rise. With that positive vibe, they're trying to convey and and have folks really grab and, and hold tightly. That buys them time to work through some of these big picture items, try and do some things better here, try and improve the age of the demographic, try and get more this, more that. Create a really good feeling that there's a lot of good things happening. Buy yourself some time to figure out the big picture items that really do need to be solved. Hopefully share those things a few months from now. Indy 500 maybe might be a time for some of these things to be shared. So I'm fine with that. Uh, <laughs> I always want to, the, the fake it till you make it thing comes to mind. I always think of my dad. He told me that when he was a teenager, I remember where this was exactly or where he was, uh, what part of the country he was in but there was a auto body shop and he loved cars, wanted to work on cars. And there was an opening that he learned about at an auto body shop to do paint and body prep sanding and not, I don't know necessarily painting, but just right. The getting the cars ready to go into the paint booth and owner of the company said, so great you're applying for this uh do you have experience in doing this to which he said yes which was a complete lie and he apparently sold it really good because he really wanted the job and didn't know a dang thing about bodywork paint body prep sanding bondo you name it but did enough of a sales job to get the owner to say okay kid you start tomorrow and i think remember the story correctly he knew about the job because a friend of his worked there and so this would have been probably late teens early 20s something along those lines and the minute he got the job he went out to his friend and said okay now i need you to teach me like the basics so i don't get fired on my first day hey if a little bit of hustle is needed to buy yourself some time while you figure things out and create a bigger and better opportunity for yourself, as long as you're not truly blowing smoke and don't put in the work and don't get yourself to where you need to be, I have a problem with that. I probably have done that 10 times myself of like, do I know how to do that? Sure. Okay, I got the job. Great. Let me go figure it out. And you figure it out and you do the job. Uh, I don't mind this, but I... I did take some umbrage on the, oh boy, oh boy. It is very clear at the dinner that these drivers were told when you show up for media day tomorrow, I need you to shoot rainbows and unicorns and sunshine just to the point of blinding people talking about how good things are and how rosy and everything's wonderful and great. Like it was a little overbearing. If you got a chance to read any of the transcripts 
from the media day interviews or happen to be on whatever zoom link YouTube or otherwise to watch them again, I'm not saying there aren't a number of positive things for us to celebrate, but it was pretty clear. The message was not just sent, but like hammered. Hey, sunshine, unicorns, rainbows, shoot it out your backside until there's nothing left to give. And oh boy, that's what it was. The part where I take umbrage with that is I think it has set a false narrative of, oh my goodness, everything's great again. Everything's perfect. Everything's wonderful. Pure positivity. There's lots of positives, but let's not oversell things. Do the fake it till you make it, but let's not go crazy here. It just had that feel. And uh, let's just say that uh the message was received and delivered by those uh who are good at shooting things from uh the backsides and uh yeah definitely andrew uh hopefully i didn't blow any sources there garrett porter say mp just wondering if the rumor i heard was true i'm hoping it is well the dragon the dragon is that weaving the leader's been doing at the indy 500 uh for a few years now be outlawed this year in may uh no little bit not crazy um more to follow um it's a story i have to write and i still need to figure out the exact timing of that uh but outlawed no um curbed at least in in one area yes uh garen also says any word in an indycar console game um then you just say some sweet stuff for uh doing the podcast and nice thoughts for my wife shabrell and our cats thank you garen your sweetheart uh no no word on the console game when i spoke to mark miles about that indycar slash penske entertainment ceo two weeks ago week i don't remember um didn't have anything on that no it wasn't him it was a senior comms leader from ims i think i don't know honestly my brain's a bit fuzzy here as to who it was but they said no um got the full measure of the iRacing relationship reanimated if not expanded now we're talking and seeking inquiries and or options to do the console side so uh that is the part two they got part one done with iRacing. Part two is now figuring out who might do a console game and when. Uh, Mark Graham. say maybe I missed it, but it seems HMD has been quiet on IndyCar team sponsorship for 2024. Have you heard anything? Focusing entirely in Indy NXT this year. Uh, yes. Uh, since Henry and Diva Malukas' son, David, is person who's been hired by mclaren arrow mclaren to drive an indy car there is no need for hmd to sponsor an entry for him which they did for two years at dale coin racing so yes with david gone from coin to my knowledge there's no longer any linkage between hmd and coin so would not see any reason for them to spend money uh on anyone else uh, in indycar since they don't like anyone better than they do their own son uh ken anderson mp dust off your crystal ball and take a stab at what you think the headline will be for a 2024 season recap story 
boy. Okay. Uh, warm wishes from a cold northern Michigan to you and Chabrell. Thank you, Ken. What's the headline going to be? What's the thing going to be? Um, Scott McLaughlin. First IndyCar championship. Calling it. Also, my predictions for such things are almost always wrong. Not necessarily the kiss of death, but the kiss of disappointment. So I feel like I probably need to apologize to our guy, Scotty Mack, when I see him here in Daytona, because uh, I think I just screwed his season. But yeah, that's the first thing that came to mind. Uh, Andy Sterling, MP. Are we going to have to organize a campaign against the frivolous NIMBY lawsuits? NIMBY being an acronym for not in my backyard, uh, which is another way of saying don't do that thing next to me. Uh, we're going to have to organize a campaign against friv frivolous NIMBY lawsuits to save our beloved Laguna Seca. Wild to think that people buy property next to one of the most iconic motorsport venues in the world and then try to get it shut down. How does this end? Yeah, at least reading the article that I posted, which is from SF Gate, San Francisco Gate, which is longstanding, fantastic San Francisco newspaper. Uh, some residents in and around Laguna Seca uh, are raising a big complaint about traffic, first of all. Uh, it's a two-lane little highway, right? So during major events, it's not fun. <laughs> it is genuinely not fun. I can tell you that for sure. Um, big traffic delays. But the thing they're complaining about even more is the rise, the big rise in track day rentals at Laguna Seca. So for y'all who know this, telling you nothing new, but for those who don't, then maybe I will. So we think about, I don't know, uh, pick your mid-Ohio, Road America, whatever your favorite road course, even ovals a little bit, but more road courses. They have their major events during the year. Who knows how many, five, seven, ten, possibly. IndyCar, IMSA, NASCAR, whatever it is, show up there, put on a big event. Could be vintage racing, could be all kinds of stuff. Those generate a lot of good money, without a doubt. But the real bread and butter is track day rentals so could be a driving club could be a racing club sports car club of america or nasa amateur racing uh could be all kinds of stuff could be drifting could be whatever uh the corvette club wants to rent the track for the day and its members lap the place this is the thing that keeps racetracks busy the other 45 however many uh, 47 weekend or weeks a year between those major weekend events and track rentals tend to be pricey. But again, that is where most racing circuits really do generate a lot of income to make themselves whole for the year. Talking Laguna Seca, it has had the most restrictive sound compliance uh, regulations of almost any track that I know of in North America. Not saying it's the most restrictive, but I guarantee you it's in the top three. And therefore, there are a very limited number of no sound limit events. That's why I'm sure Laguna Seca would love to have even more big motor racing, 
events there, but they only have so many no sound limitation weekends allowed by the county per year. The complaint as I read it was a little bit of that, but more of, hey, this track is busy almost every day of the year now, which is, again, a good thing because the place was in terrible financial shape. Uh, and it's, you know, owned, uh, directed by the county. So this is a county property that is meant to generate profits for Monterey County. Um, the newish track managers, as of a couple years, Andy Narigi, uh, they've said, great. Narigi's a former hotel owner, manager, right? He's just thought of this like a hotel manager. Okay, uh, if we got a bunch of empty rooms, well, we're not making money. So what do we need to do to make sure that we're at full occupancy? That's how he's treated the track. And so they have filled up as many days of the week and weekends with racing, racing, racing. The vast majority of those are at a restrict, highly restricted, I think maximum like 92 decibels or 90 or anyways, it's low for a, for a motor racing venue. Um, the main complaint was it's always full. It's always busy. There's always stuff going on and it's always loud and noisy. Now, again, compared to a 115 or 120 decibel vintage NASCAR cup car during, uh, whatever historic racing weekend there, you know, uh, uh, Subaru Impreza or a whatever at 92 decibels on a track day rental, not crazy loud, but I guess if you wanted to be complainy, you could say, well, it seems like there's just always noise and sound coming from the track. And so these are the main areas of complaints too much, too loud, too often. The, the issue here, Andy, to close is this. Yes. Uh, this track was built and opened in 1957 it's been around for a long time are there any houses still from pre-57 around like really close to it i don't know uh, i don't know regardless are there people who've lived there prior to 1957 who are still in those houses um i think that's the part where you go doubtful so anybody who is living in and around the track probably been there since it's after it opened and after it's been loud. So that's been the main comment everyone said. Hey, if you don't want to be near loud things, then don't live near loud things. This is the one thing you got to know, though. You want to buy one of those houses? I hope you have four to five million you want to buy a plot of land to build a house on eight hundred thousand million 1.2 maybe more so just the rough land to make a house near laguna seca is double triple the whatever the price of the average american home the folks who are doing the complaining are not Folks like you and I earning a normal amount of money, these are folks who are extremely wealthy, have very high expectations for quality of life, 
and with the financial capabilities that they have, able to try and sue this thing that maybe they don't like, uh, that's too loud, that causes traffic, that does whatever unsavory things in their minds, to try and become a non-nuisance. And so this is very much of a class-based thing. Uh, financial class, not necessarily separating individuals in terms of how classy you is, but these are very wealthy folks who want to try and bring the track to heel uh, into alignment with their wishes. This is where it gets interesting. So I don't know where it's going to end up, Andy, but I do know that we aren't talking about folks who lack the ability to pay lawyers and be very committed to trying to get things changed to their liking. Uh, Austin Taylor, say, Marshall, I'm going to my second straight Indy 500 this year. I was wondering what race shops or places I should go to during your downtime. I get asked this question somewhat frequently, and I never have a good answer, Austin, because I very rarely get a chance to do any of that because I'm working the whole time. And even on the days where there's no on-track activity, there's a heck of a bunch of stuff to do work-wise to prepare for the upcoming qualifying or race or whatever it is. So I don't have an immediate answer for you, but I'm going to try and do this. I'm going to make a note here. I'm going to get out my Sharpie and I got my notepad. It's not, it's a post-it pad. So I don't want to pretend to make it sound like it's something really big. But I need to assemble Indy 500 must see visit list. I need to start building that out. So when good folks like you ask, I have an answer. So do me a favor in, I don't know, two months or whatever it is, send this question back in. Jerry, please move it towards the top. And I will have some answers for you. So, uh, please bear with me until then. All right, let's fire through some more. I feel like we are making some good time, but let's fire through some more here and see how far we can get Brandon Fogel. All right, you're, you're killing it here. How many races and championships does Alex Plo need to win for people to pronounce his last name correctly? I haven't heard a teammate mispronounce it multiple times last season. See, I think we need... I like that I also, by the way, just started to say pispronounced instead of mispronounced. When you mispronounce the word mispronounce, like that's <laughs> that's an indicator of something <laughs> you shouldn't be proud of. So, <laughs> sorry, again, if y'all didn't know I was an idiot beforehand, yes, uh, I just mispronounced the word mispronounced. I'm also the kid, this is true, I've shared this before on the podcast, this, this isn't a, a thing that's just happened recently. It's been with me pretty much my whole life. I was five, six years old and was at some little grocery, small little grocery convenience, liquor type store, I guess. My mom went in to get something um, and there were some comic books and whatever other magazines on a little display stand. And the comic book I remember was like eye level. So however tall I was at five or six, it was staring me right in the face. And so while she was kind of checking out or doing whatever i grabbed whichever comic book opened it up and was trying to read it with my rudimentary grasp of the english language at that age 
came across a word I didn't understand not only how to pronounce it, but what it meant. And so when she was done checking out, and again, I was like, you know, five feet away from her, uh, she walked over and about to go. And I stopped her and said, Mom, what does I do it mean? And she said, I do it. I said, Yeah, I do it. And I pointed to the word on the comic book. And it wasn't I do it, y'all. It was idiot. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I don't even know how I like function on a daily basis, but I appreciate the fact that y'all take pity on me. Uh, so, there you go. I'm your uh, piss pronounce I do it. Uh, Brandon finishes by saying, I think we need Lee Diffie to go around every team as he makes his rounds at St. Pete so he can train everyone with his phrase, hello, hello. Great point. Yeah, uh, probably Dixie. I think Dixie murders his name, but that's okay. Here's the one that I find interesting. So Alex from Spain, Spanish, his mother tongue from the country where this mother tongue uh, sprang forth. Hello. That's how he pronounces his name. And I realized there's a much better accent saying that with him and a little bit of color added to it that I can't, but hello. Pato Ward from Mexico, mother tongue Spanish as well, but obviously a Spanish angle versus a mexican angle or venezuelan or again accent change just as it does throughout the u.s with us regionally how english is spoken i've always found it interesting that when he refers to alex pato says palau p-u-h-l-o-w almost e palau uh, a very heavy w inserted in there uh so yeah even someone who speaks the same mother tongue obviously though with a different lilt um can't agree on it so i think this is a great one brandon instead of lee going around training everyone i think we actually need if someone can remind me I think I need at St. Pete or wherever to go around to every possible driver and see how many I can get to say his name, just however they might say it, but capture as many miss piss pronunciations as possible and see truly how far and how wide folks are from uh, what it kind of should be. So I love that. That's great. Uh, Nate Falkowitz, how you doing, Nate? MP, can you explain why the NXT cars make all those popping noises under braking while the Indy cars don't? You say, hope all is well. Uh, that would be anti-lag. That would be electronic system. Makes use of the turbocharger, fuel, and the exhaust valves um, to keep the turbo spooled up when drivers are off throttle slash under braking. And so what it does is it helps in throttle response. And by sending some unburnt fuel out through the exhaust valves into the understandably hot exhaust, and that 
catching fire and going boom, although not as big of a boom from the internal combustion engine and the super compression of the oxygen and fuel and the spark that makes it explode. But it's the sending of small amounts of just raw fuel into the exhaust when the driver's off throttle that goes kerblamo and that kerblamo keeps the turbo spinning so it's not basically sitting there doing nothing waiting to ramp all the way back up once the driver gets back on the throttle to then make boost and then make a whole bunch of acceleration so this is so if you've ever driven a turbocharged car especially an older one i'm talking probably more early 90s 80s late 70s my dad was a a british and swedish car specialist then just started focusing on swedish cars primarily sobs and sob turbos and those things were amazing but you step on the throttle and i mean you could almost take a nap waiting for the motor to spin and the revs to build and exhaust gases to get really firing to then get the turbo spinning to then stuff that cold air or, or I should say compressed air high volume back into the motor and uh, it just takes forever you step on the throttle hard and it's just Bleh. you wait and you wait and you wait then it's bam and you snap your neck back well indy cars used to be like that too um until anti-lag technology really became uh popular I think it was world rally championship where this took off and you'd hear this all day long the pops and bangings and chirps um this exact thing hey you're on and off the throttle a ton and rallying because you know trees and cliffs and trying not to die we don't want there to be a constant dead zone in the thing just nosing over and no acceleration when you get back to the throttle so how do we fix that well if we can keep that turbo spinning, even if it's not raging hard, but just still spinning uh, somewhat when we start to build revs, well, it's already got some kind of boost in motion and we'll have some you know power available once we get back to the throttle instead of this big dead zone. So that's what you hear there. Um, it's happening in IndyCar. It's just cars are louder more stuff going on don't hear it as much um yeah uh they do a pretty good job at hiding that at not making that super glaringly obvious to the ear in a spec series like indy nxt with the aer four-cylinder turbos um no real need to uh, dial any of those noises down uh christopher damato marshall last week there's a good question about chassis providers say well i miss those days in cart at the end if i remember correctly unless you ran a renard you were super behind the eight ball um it's actually lola uh renards were dominant but yeah by 2002 ish three yeah that's where the lola steamroller really picked up moved into champ car right cart renamed itself as champ car but yeah uh renard was the chassis to have for yeah uh first championship was won in 1996 and i don't think it was beaten afterwards uh until yeah lola came back to prominence 
uh, championship wise. Uh, but you say, if I remember correctly, unless you ran a Renard, you were super behind the eight ball. And if any car did entertain adding another chassis supplier, how do we prevent a cart like redo? Uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, this is the, this is the thing about variety. I wish we had more of it. Teams are always going to migrate towards whatever works best. Uh, I think I've shared this before, but my first introduction to IndyCar working on the crew side, 1997, uh, Indy Racing League, and AJ Foyt had bought Dolores, tested them, and for whatever reason decided didn't like them. Uh, went and bought G-Forces and liked those. Um, I feel like they might've come back to Dallara before too long, but bottom line was bought Dallara's decided, didn't really want them. That's where we got ours at Thomas Knapp Motorsports slash general racing and great success with it. Um, as did a lot of other folks G force though. Again, they won championships. So really, really close. We also saw that before too long, Delaro was starting to win the development side. And wasn't that they had a ton more giant teams that were giving back much better data, uh, but just Delaro was new to this oval racing, really smart, learned a ton, and before too long, they had a chassis that most folks had migrated towards to your exact point. Didn't happen right away. Took a couple years. I forget exactly how many, three, four, five, but, uh, of course there were some G forces in the field, but it was pretty much a, if you want to go win the Indy 500 or win the other races, win a championship, going to have to head towards a Delara. And that's where we really ended up towards the, what end of, uh, before the merger of, champ car in the good old IndyCar series and it was uh all delaras so it's a great point um same thing with tires good years were phenomenal in the irl firestones were also pretty darn phenomenal got towards 98 99 and yeah if you weren't on firestones you were not having a good time. And before long, Goodyear was gone. Uh, on the cart side, even worse. Uh, once the Firestones really came on strong, that 96 season, Chip Ganassi Racing's first championship, first for that Renard, as I mentioned, but also the first, again, modern era with Firestone. And from there, uh, it was on. And so there came a pretty quick point. Not that Goodyear, Shod, Cart teams didn't win any races afterwards, but uh, it was clear which direction you needed to go. And it got to a point to where those who were still running the Goodyears had no chance, right? You know, might squeak out one win per season in some sort of amazing uh, turn of uh, of fate, but yeah so just back to your point chris i'd love to see multiple chassis i absolutely would 
there probably need to be a little bit of tweaking and love given to whichever one proved to be slightly less capable than the other because otherwise it'd be a wasted exercise folks would have chassis that they can't run unless they want to lose and then potentially lose their sponsors and lose their team so you get a lot of folks if not the majority who own indycar teams saying yeah for the most of us we were around and either running teams or drove back in the day in cart when we had three chassis four however many it was let's just stick with one really good one because nobody wants to make the wrong decision and risk having their business shut down because they did um go to john wojnar no wait a minute what we got a wojnar question these are rare uh mp i listened to the recent small town murder express episode and they discussed the death of gary triano who was an owner of a quote indie racing team as the host puts it we at the prude looked into it but we couldn't find any record of him owning a team we're wondering if you've ever heard of him thanks I have not Gary Triano T R I A N O. Uh, no. So makes me wonder if, and I, with a little bit of context, um, I might be able to help a little bit. Uh, you say you listened to a recent small town murder express episode. Did they say when, right? Are we talking, man, see, we're going to kill people and, uh, run a indie racing team. See, uh, I don't know is it old, like, 20s 30s gangster era is it 50 again i don't know so maybe with a little bit of context i might be able to help there um depending on the knowledge of the hosts of a podcast like that they might just be using indie racing team as a generic term because that's something they heard or googled would it be more accurately presented as a triple a era racing team or USAC or whatever era of indie car racing it might've been? I don't know. Um, was Gary Triano a true owner? Was he a co-owner? Was he, uh, again, the, the amount of folks who've owned indie car teams is insane because anybody seemingly who was loosely attached to a team 30 years ago, who brought a $25,000 sponsor, which made up 1% of the team's budget, uh, is, has been telling folks at the bar and everywhere else and next door neighbors, uh, since I, I own an IndyCar team. Yeah. Um, so don't know, just do know that there are a lot of folks who say they were something that weren't, uh, or were barely loosely attached and therefore would not have had their names listed as the official entrant and owner. Uh, but because of whichever angle they might've been involved, um, might've presented themselves as an owner, not saying that's the case with Gary Triano. I've never heard of, but yeah. Uh, yeah, see, tell me more, see, and I'll try and tell you more. Lance Snyder, our minister of mirth. So we get down towards yeah we're getting towards the end i like that uh if you were to put the indycar field in scca b spec cars for a fun race at sebring on the short course how many red flags would be needed for cars on their roofs in the middle of the track um well the race would be a red flag 
by the exit of turn one because they'd all be on their roof or over the fence uh, or upside down on tire bales. So the answer is one very, I mean, duh, Lance Snyder, one red flag and the race would never resume because they'd all be upside down or still on their way to the moon doing some sort of uh, SpaceX launch. So yeah, I mean, silly guy. Uh, Kyle Conley, so you know you are probably tired of hearing about engines. Never. Uh, I'm kind of the one person in IndyCar and also IMSA who is all about the tech and has been forever. And so, no, it's me trying to keep this stuff alive to help folks to give a crap about it because by and large, folks haven't. Um, probably tired about hearing about engines, but if IndyCar were to go to spec engines, would it be possible to resume the 2.4 liter motors or would a new formula have to be drawn up great question possible it truly just depends what indycar would decide it really wants but it wouldn't decide anything like that without full input from its current manufacturers and those manufacturers that it considers to be close uh, where they often ask them for their input on things. So knowing that Honda has a 2.4 that is currently racing in IMSA and GTP and Chevy did go as far as building a new 2.4 into track test it. Uh, if we're trying to make more power, more robust horsepower, not have to rely on the energy recovery system to put up huge amounts of electric ponies. Um, you would certainly do that by going to that 2.4, who knows, 2.6, 2.65 maybe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great idea. Um, this, this might be the way. Brett Keys, you say, MP, if a twin turbo inline six engine option, say the same power and displacement was allowed along with the current V6 turbo motors, do you think manufacturers such as Dodge, BMW, and Porsche would show more IndyCar interest due to closer a closer relation to their street car power plants? And could a inline six-cylinder fit in the DW12? All right, so first thing, you need to tell me about this inline six-cylinder Porsche because I don't know about those. I know about flat sixes. I don't know about inline sixes. So you got to tell me about that. Um if that were to be something that someone said, hi, we are a auto brand and we do have an inline six, which you mentioned some that, that do would IndyCar be open to it. If Chevy and Honda said, yes, I'm sure IndyCar would be open to it as well. The difference here though, and I'm telling you what you already know, but maybe not everybody else does a V six, which is what we have. It's a brilliant compact layout. From the front of the motor to the back of the motor, it's short. It's very compact because it's only three cylinders wide. Three cylinders on the left bank, three cylinders on the right bank, six cylinders in total in a V arrangement. But it's only as wide as three cylinders. Therefore, the motor itself as it sits in the back of the car, small, tiny, short, inline six, well, that means exactly what it says. Six cylinders in a line. And so we go from the engine being three cylinders wide to doubling 
in length to six cylinders wide. And that is where that would not be an easy solution to jam into the back of the current car. Not at all. You'd be adding effectively, it'd be like stacking, not exactly, it'd be a little shorter for sure, but it'd be like stacking two of the current motors, one behind the other. And that adds a decent amount of extra length to the wheelbase. Um, that changes bodywork, top, bottom, side, you name it. That changes weight distribution, changes aerodynamics. Uh, yeah, not impossible, but there's nothing about how the DW12 was built to allow for something that is longer than the V6 three-cylinder wide layout to drop in without everything. It's <laughs> it's like somebody who's gained a lot of weight. And you go, well, uh, we can make your pants fit, but they're going to need to be, we've got to go to a tailor, got to let them out a bit because uh, we've gotten bigger for sure. Uh, this is having to do that equivalent with everything in and around the engine bay, all the bodywork, all the ancillary systems to accommodate a motor that just pushes out uh, much, much longer into the back of the car. Uh, but yeah, not impossible. If someone said, yes, let's do it, and we're happy to make it happen. Um, where do we go here to start to ramp down, finally? Our guy, Daniel Summers Gill. How you doing, Daniel? Daniel's a sweetheart who puts together our week in sports cars questions. Uh, says last week we saw expressions of interest to join the series from Abel, Prema, and Pratt and Miller, meaning potentially at least an additional three cars. See, so with pit space limited at some tracks, what are the implications? Smaller teams, different tracks, pre qualifying, bumping. Uh, yes. <laughs> All those things are currently being considered, evaluated, and pondered, Daniel. So there is no answer to this yet. We have 27 entries right now across 10 full-time teams, as I mentioned. Of those 27, Honda supplies 15 engine leases, Chevrolet the other 12. If Chevrolet were willing, would they be able to do one each, as you mentioned? It feels like the answer would be yes. Pratt and Miller's the no-brainer, right? They're currently engaged with Chevrolet General Motors to make the Corvette Z06 GT3s, all that aforementioned long history on the IndyCar side. Pratt Miller would not be using a Honda. So we know if they're going to be an IndyCar, that would be a 13th Chevrolet. Abel did their Indy 500 last year, be doing it again this year. Who knows if they could do more races? Chevy side, we would expect them to stay with Chevy. That would be a 14th. Prema, I think from a competitive standpoint, Honda would love to have them because I think they would be that good. Nonetheless, unless there were to be a change at Honda and Honda were to say, we'll do 16, that might need to fall into the Chevy side again, which could bring us to 30 cars, 15 and 15. Um, but then you do have the questions you've raised. Hey, it's not just pit stalls as well but some tracks there's just a limited amount of space to support all the tractors and trailers or hospitality 
And I'm not saying you can't find space for these things if you really tried, but do we really want to have one or two teams way out in the dirt while the rest of the teams are in garages or similar? Again, just from a look standpoint, of course you can always find space. Not everybody has to be inside the track in theory, but you want things to look clean and unified and and well strategied. So this is the question IndyCar is having to ask itself right now. Speak with its manufacturers, speak with the tracks. I've mentioned before to Jay Fry somewhat jokingly, and he said, well, I don't know, maybe it's not a joke of on the pre-qualifying that you mentioned here, Daniel, of like, hey, do you want to turn team owners away? Absolutely not. You don't want to be F1. You want to say, yes, if you want to be here and invest in us, we want to give you an opportunity. Think about IMSA going racing with 59 cars, 60 cars, whatever crazy amount. Not at every single event, not every venue, but like a bunch, 40, 50, you know, a lot just about everywhere they go. So they make space, they make room, they make it happen wherever they can. The places they can't, they say, okay, those are going to be GT only or Maybe we don't bring all four classes with us. Maybe only bring three. Nonetheless, IndyCar is not the only series to have to deal with large car counts. NASCAR obviously does. But there is that limitation where not everybody can necessarily be welcomed into every track as they are currently laid out. And so I've joked with Jay saying, like, so what do we do? Do we go to an A main and B main and do we have a Saturday? Do we have qualifying on Saturdays at St. Pete or whatever? X amount of spaces available on the Sunday grid for all those who don't make it. Well, we're going to have a Saturday afternoon race. And again, who knows the top two transfer kind of again, short track dirt oval approach. I've said that to him jokingly and he's like, yeah, you know, I'm not saying we're going to do it, but like, you know, it's not a joke. Like it's something for us to think about because we do have that many. We need to come up with something, right? We're not going to be able to run 36 Indy cars at every race or whatever the number is, but we might need to think a little bit laterally to say, okay, you might not qualify for the big race on Sunday. Um, but we want to give you some value because you're here and you're real and you've got sponsors and or your drivers paying for this or whatever it is. And we want to be able to give you something. So, and keep in mind, it doesn't mean the small new teams are the ones that all fail to qualify. Uh, it could be a big team that has an entry uh, again, who knows? Um, something to think about. Uh, it's a the great problem to have, but it's also a problem and they have it. And so we don't have an answer yet. It is something they're working on for sure, Daniel. I know that because I've spoken to the series uh, this week and they've told me they're working on it. That'll be a story that I'll try and get done here as soon as I can. Uh, two to go. Ole O'Leary says, hey, thanks for the shout out in the last episode. The two dry and Reinbold seats for the 500 are yet to be confirmed. Do you have any thoughts on who will take them? Do you think Jerry Hildebrand has a chance at one of them? I do not. Uh, wrote a story, when was it? I think early December, 
on racer.com that said, Hey, not confirming anything, but don't be surprised, which is the code word for it's going to happen. Don't be surprised if Connor Daly and Ryan Hunter Ray are DRRs, Chevy power drivers for the Indy 500. So, uh, yeah, they are, unless something has gone backwards since I did those outreaches and research and got answers, um, unless something has somehow gone backwards from there, um, there have not been any needs for any drivers to call and inquire about those seats for a little while. Uh, we're closing here with Mark Sanchez says, what kind of bet do you and Roger Penske make if we end up with a lions versus 49ers NFC conference championship game or with chip, if it's a Steelers 49ers super bowl and you sent this before, uh, the Steelers played on Monday and then at the end of the game, um, the rules said you cannot keep playing anymore this season. Um, to <laughs> Roger and I have a bet. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, no, I will probably, if such a thing were to happen, I'm sure I'll find some folks that I genuinely consider to be friends who are from Michigan or have just lived there for a long time. We'll come up with something. Um, and I sure hope we don't lose because I'm wearing a 49er shirt right now. And, uh, hey, we've been to the Super Bowl not too long ago. And um, that also ended in a way where they said, you can't have um, the trophy because you didn't win. So, yeah, uh, I hope things go well. But, yeah, um, I don't know. I always lose bets. That's why I don't want to make them because it's just going to set me up for uh, not fun. Um, thanks to all the questions you sent in for all the questions you sent in. Thanks to y'all for even in this somewhat quiet ish off season. And we still got almost two months to go to the first race. Um, giving us great stuff. Lots of folks listening to the show. Appreciate all of you for not only joining in, contributing or just simply listening but also uh being kind enough to share the show uh whenever it goes up with whomever who you think might enjoy it and i know you do because see the uh the downloads and the traffic and it's truly just something that makes us smile so thank y'all thanks once again to faf technologies the justice brothers torontomotorsports.com marshall pruitt and i'll speak to you here very soon <laughs>